Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless this time, your spirit, to lead us as we look at your word and that we will examine it and see what you'd have us to know and understand from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. They that fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that, my, that your judgments are right and that your, you in faithfulness have afflicted me. Let, I pray you, my, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word unto your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed for they dealt perversely with me without a cause but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those that fear you turn unto me and those that have known your testimony. Let my heart be sound in your statutes and I will not be ashamed. So we're going to look at this. This is the, word, the letter Jod, which means, has the implication of arm, work, and, and deeds. And it says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And here we see that God's strength, his hands, have made and fashioned me. And this is something that, you know, been kind of on my mind since Amy started <laughs> planning the show and the evolution thing that, uh, for the Sunday school is that uh, God has made us. And it's kind of an interesting thing when you think about this that the world wants to try to believe that all this beautiful creation that God made somehow happened by chance. Uh, all, the, all the materials that just cannot be put together happened by chance. The very cell itself just happened by chance. And I took cellular biology in, class, uh, in college, and you know, it was amazing how the cell is put together, and it can't just happen by chance. It just can't be random. It can't, things just don't, I mean, what part of the cell can you do without? None. You really can't do without any of the cell. It all had to come together at exactly the same point. The way it's fed is that it has an enzyme that has to unlock the cell wall so the protein and stuff can get into the system. And so you can't sit there and have just bits and pieces of it. And we look at all of this and say, God has made me and fashioned me. He has established me. He has set it all up. And it's wonderful when you think about this, the design that God has put into this world, how every piece of it has to match and be fit together just perfectly. And without bits and pieces of any little piece of it, it wouldn't exist. The very fact that we have life is an amazing statement. You know, and we look at this and say life has never started from nothing. You have to have life to, have to, to generate life. And yet, without God, they want to say somehow life just started. <laughs> and it's an amazing thing. You have fashioned me. Give me understanding. God is the one that gives us understanding. He's the one that gives us knowledge. And then he says, that I may learn your commandments. 
the commandments of God to learn to do and follow. Verse 74, they that fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hope in your word. And, th and this is the interesting thing. They that fear you, that have reverence, honor for God. And this is something that people have trouble with the idea, especially in our day and age, fearing God. And we should have a righteous fear of God because he is holy. He is righteous. And he does bring judgment in our life. Too many people, in our, especially in our day, have this idea that God's their, their buddy, their best friend. You know, and, and in one sense, he is, but he's also God. And we need to be understanding the holiness and righteousness of God. Because otherwise, we get too familiar with God. And, and then you'll hear people go, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me. Well, yes, God will forgive you, but you're going to have consequences for what you do. Because he's righteous and holy. There has to be a fear of God and what will come if you disobey him. Uh, the same type of fear that, that you should be having for your parents. You know, you fear parents, if you, especially if you're doing something wrong. They, you know, your, your parents are there to discipline, especially when you're younger. But they're there to make you learn obedience. And there should be a reverential fear. Not, not that you're afraid or scared of them, but there should be this, if I've done something wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. And this is what we should be looking at with God. There should be that type of fear that if I'm living wrong in my life, I should be very much afraid of being in his presence. And you know, that's what I've seen over my lifetime when people are walking away from God and doing their own thing. They usually totally walk away from God. They don't get in his word. They don't pray. They don't come to church. Why? Because there's that fear of what God is going to do in their life. And it says, they that fear you will be glad, will rejoice, will exult when they see me. Do you exult when you see other Christians that are fearing God? They should be the type of person you're happy to be around. There should not be this, oh no, here they come. And the only reason that you have that attitude is if you're living in sin and you're worried that you're going to feel convicted about being around God's people. It says that they will rejoice. Why? Because I have hoped in your word. Hope here literally means wait for. He's waited for God's word. Do we sit and wait for God's truth? Yeah, and this takes us, you know, we've been looking at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 last month for the memory verse that, you know, trust in God, not your own way. And when we read the word, are we truly saying that the word of God is true? And believe me, I've talked to many people that go, well, I just don't understand this. I can't understand how it can be true. Well, it doesn't matter whether I can understand whether it's true or not. God wrote it, it is true. And if you wait long enough, you'll find out that it's true. In 1850, when Darwinism, uh, Darwin wrote the book, uh, The Descent of Man, or you know, within, and pr pr promoted evolution, the church scrambled to try to figure out how to bring the Bible in, in line with the, with the new science that was being taught. 
And it's like, well, why don't you just believe the Bible? And let science catch up with the Bible, because it always does. Eventually, it will catch up whether it's supposed to be. And we're seeing that in our day and age, you know, the Bible is being proved that it matches very clearly with science, or science matches it very clearly with God's word. And we see that much of what the Bible tells us tells us why things happened. Why are, you know, the very idea that there's so many fossils in the first place should drive scientists nuts. Because how do you get a fossil? You have to have your, your uh, carcass covered very quickly under high pressure. And the very fact that we have so many of them is an amazing fact. We still get fossils every once in a while. Uh, if something's buried quickly in a flood, you will get a fossil. If it's buried very quickly in a strong, heavy, heavy deluge or a mudslide, you can get a fossil made. But they're very rare. They're not everyday occurrences. There's not thousands and millions of them all over the place. And we look at it, what, what event in the Bible would explain so many fossils? Noah's flood, a great flood that covers the entire world, that covered it quickly. And so we look at this and say, I have hoped in your word. I have waited for your word. I trust your word. It is absolutely true. And this is why I keep bringing up God's word is correct. Whether I agree with it or not, it is correct. And I need to match my beliefs to God's word, not try to match God's word to my beliefs. And this is something that many Christians try to do. Yes, the majority do. And in many churches, that's what they do. Because that's what the people want to hear. They want to get itchy ears. They, they, they're, they're being taught their itchy ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. This is why they create their own God. It's becoming very popular to create your own religion and God. But this is really what is important for us to understand. People are being told things, even in churches that twist the Bible to match what they want it to believe instead of saying, this is what the Bible says, I'm going to believe the Bible. And it is critical for us to get to this point where we really understand the Word of God is true, no matter what it says. And that's why I love Dr. McGee's, and I quote him a lot, you know, where McGee and the Bible disagree, the Bible is correct. Well, I say the same thing, where, where the where the Bible and, and Ralph disagree, the Bible is correct. Period. You know, it just, I learn that, I follow it. And then I go, go, okay, God, I don't understand this. I need you to show me why it's true. Or that I misunderstood it in the first place. When I was younger, I, probably, I had a lot more different battles with it. But I'd had Dr. McGee's words ringing in my ears all the time. So I said, the word of God is right. You, you might call it faith. I don't, I don't look at it as faith because of how much I know that the word of God is true. Uh, but you start out by faith, yes. It, you know, God's word is true, so it's just straight faith. Uh, now I have seen that God's word is absolutely true in every place that, it's ever, that I've ever looked at. Uh, it's true uh, scientifically. It's true archaeology. It's true psychologically. It's true sociologically. It's true in his in history, probably. 
especially if they're not being taught Correctly. strongly from the, in the first place. Uh, I have just been so strong on this that God's word is true. And it's absolutely true. And the funny thing is, you know, we had all, those, all these groups in the 1850s trying to figure out how to match the Bible up with evolution. And there's some really strange beliefs that came out of that period of time from good Bible teachers that are pretty sound in every other part of their teaching. And, and they would teach something really strange about, about creation. And come to find out that it all fits. Everything fits in very strong, uh, very clearly. God's word is true. And people can argue it. They can try to fight it. But the good news is God's word is true and it does not return void. You know, and this is one thing I've told people when you're sharing the gospel message with people, use the Bible. And even if they tell you they don't believe in the Bible, use the Bible anyway. Because God's word does not return void. Or, you know, when you're given the gospel for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you give them the Bible because it's all we have. It's either true or it's not true. And I keep saying this over and over again. If there's anything that's incorrect in the Bible, the whole book is, is not worth anything. Because how are you going to determine what's right and what's wrong? And there's been many, many times, and when I was a young Christian, there were people who said, well, you don't have to believe in Genesis. I'm going, why? <laughs> if it's not right, then, then the whole book has to come into, into, into uh, controversy. Because who's going to decide what's right and what's wrong if it's not all right? It is sure, it is understood that I will hope in his word. And if for some reason I read something, and it doesn't happen to me much after 40 years of study, but if I read something and I just don't understand it, it makes no sense, I'm going, God, it's right, show me. Show me why it's right or help me interpret it correctly without trying to twist it. Which is why I tell you, the, when we're reading the Bible, the first rule of interpretation of the Bible is, if it is literal, and it is obvious that it's literal. It is literal. <laughs> okay? Now, if God gives you poetic sections in here, and sometimes uh, Psalms and has a lot of poetry in it, and it says that God is like a bird, then it's not saying that God is up there in heaven with feathers. It's just saying he's got love and care <laughs> like a bird uh, because it's poetic. But most of the Bible is not poet, poet, poetic. It's literal. It has history. And other things that you want to keep in mind when you're trying to study the Bible is just because the Bible says something doesn't mean necessarily that it approves of it. Okay? It says that there was homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah and God destroyed it. That doesn't mean that he approved of it. it, it it doesn't mean that when people were afraid and doing wrong things that God approved of it. When David sinned with Bathsheba, God didn't say, oh, that's okay, I'm just going to write it in here and we're going to approve of it. No, he judged it. And we've got to be careful because a lot of times people go, well, it's in the Bible. Well, there's lots of things in the Bible. The Bible talks about all aspects of life. And it's kind of amazing when you get into the scriptures because so many things that we think are new or unusual or in the Bi are already in the Bible. You know, we, we talked about that. All the political intrigue in the, in the 
with the kings is in the, is in the Bible, and we see, see political intrigue today. We see all of these different things that are out there, and God says, it's there. So we, we have this hope. Verse 35, I know, O Lord, that... Huh? 75. 75? You don't want to go back to 35? No. Oh, okay. We'll stay at 75 then. <laughs> Which is what I was reading, even though I said the wrong word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that you're in your faithfulness have inflicted me. God, I know that your judgments are right. Have you ever wondered whether God knew what he was doing in your life because of <laughs> what was going on in your life? Most of us have. Most of us have been there. God, uh, you know, uh, why is this happening? What's going on? But here it says, he says, I know your judgments are right, and in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. God has a plan when things go wrong in our life. And this is something we've got to keep in mind. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, and there's nothing that comes into our life that God didn't already know about. And there's two reasons bad things happen to us. We either deserve it for doing something wrong, or God is testing us. So, and what have I said? When, you, when something's going wrong in your life, your first thing you look at and say, God, do I deserve this? Have I done something that has caused this to happen in my life? If it has, then I go, God, I confess my sin. I ask and I repent from it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you go and go through the consequences of your sin. If not, you're in a Job situation and God's testing something in your life. And it's usually, do you really believe what you believe? That's what was happening in Job's life. Remember, Satan goes to God and says, uh, and, you know, it's an amazing thing that God points out Job to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a perfect man that hates evil. And Job and Satan goes, yeah, I've thought about him, but you've got him so protected I can't do anything to him. And he allows him to basically tear apart Job's life for a period of time. Every once in a while, God will let us go through that kind of an experience where some things will go wrong just because he's testing us. Do you believe? And it says that he's faithful. And, you know, we've, we've got the quote that I gave many, a year, oh, over a year ago, I guess it is. God's perfect plan is what I would choose if I knew everything. Okay? When God lets something hard in my life it's exactly what I would choose if I knew everything. And sometimes that's hard to picture, isn't it? When you think about what goes on in your life. But you know, the one thing I've learned over the years is after you get a few years down the road, you go, oh, that's why I had to go through this event, or this is what, 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 what I went through it for. And you go, okay, God, you had knowledge that I did not have. And we have to understand that God has knowledge that we don't have. First off, he knows the beginning from the end and everything in between it. And we've talked about that. God knows everything that will happen. And that's hard to imagine because we can't even fathom that. God knows everything that is going to happen because he has complete knowledge. When he created Adam and Eve, he already knew what was going to happen for the rest of that time. And even before creating Adam and Eve, he knew that we were going to sin. And Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit got together and said, we're going to create man, they're going to fall. And Jesus, you're going to, I'd like you to give your life for man. 
and yet he created man. That to me is an amazing thought. Verse 76, let I pray you your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word unto your servant. God has promised comfort. He hasn't promised us a life with no problems. <laughs> Sometimes people look at something like this verse and say, well, you know, I expect a life with no problem. Well, that's not going to happen. Job expected a life with no problem because he was honoring God and sacrificing and had to struggle with the whole idea that problems came his way. But God has promised comfort. He has promised us that he loves us and cares for us. Even when things seem to be going wrong, God is there to deliver, to help, to, to try to comfort us if we will let him. And this is why I say, for me, the most comforting verses, when I'm going through hard times, my, my two things of comfort are, of course, Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good, for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And the second thing is that God is sovereign. Nothing happens to me that he didn't allow. Now, I may not understand why he allowed it, but it is very comforting to me to know that he allowed it. And I don't know if that comforts you all, but it does me. Because um, I may not understand why, but I know that he has a reason. And his reason makes sense to him, because he knows everything. It may never make sense to me until I get to heaven and see what, what the purpose was, maybe be able to ask him, oh, God, why did you allow such and, such and such to happen? But it's so important. How many times have you gone through something that seemed very hard in your life, and later on, you're going, oh, I needed this. I needed to have gone through this. It might be just so that you can have empathy for somebody else who goes through hard times. You know, have you ever thought about that? If you didn't go through hard times, how empathetic would you be to somebody who struggles? You know, well, how come you're going through so much trouble? I had no problems getting through all this stuff. And we want to be careful with that. And it says, let your merciful kindness, your grace and your kindness be for my comfort for my console, that it just helped me get through all of this. And it says, according to your word and to your servant. How do we really get through a lot of this stuff? We get into his word. We need to know God's word. Because otherwise, we get, we've talked a little bit about this. You know, so many different people have their own concept of God because they don't get in God's word. You, know, you hear people, they'll tell you, well, God is love. Well, yeah, God is love. He is kind. He is merciful. But at the same token, he is just, holy, and righteous. And we cannot separate the two points. And when you're talking to people about Jesus, about God and Jesus, they'll tell you, well, God is just love. He's not going to send anybody to hell. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that he is holy and righteous, and if they do not accept Jesus' sacrifice, they will go to hell. Why? Because he's holy and just and righteous. And he is good. And good must punish evil. And if God was not good, then he could let everybody into heaven and he would be evil in that case. And heaven would not be a place to go to. 
we have to understand all of the Bible and what it says, not just bits and pieces of it, not one part of it. Not, and this is why my purpose is to go through the whole Bible. Figured it'll take me 12 years to do, but we're going to go through the whole Bible in this church. And if I'm still the pastor in 12 years, we'll start all over again. Why? Because we need to know the whole Bible. This is why I encourage us to read the Bible every day and read through the Bible each year so that we get the whole picture of what God expects, not just bits and pieces cherry-picked out, out of the scriptures because we look at it and we say, wow, this is kind of interesting. God is holy. He is just. He, he's also loving and gracious and loving and gracious so much that he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be forgiven and have a righteous, holy God's justice satisfied. But we need to get into his word and understand it. And this is something that is critical for us. This is why we do so many Bible studies. This is why we do Sunday school. This is why we get encourage people to read the scriptures. Because we want to see God in the entirety of who he is. Not just uh, bits and pieces or worse yet, create our own God. You know, I, I have met people who go, well, I like what Jesus said here, so I'm going to take this. And I like what Buddha says over here, and I'm going to take this. And you know, Krishna said this, I'm going to take this. Uh, this group says this, and this group says this. And they create their own religion. And in their religion, I can guarantee you there's no justice, there's no punishment, because they're just going to pick out these lovely little good, good things out of it and create a God that they can be happy with. In, other, in essence, they created a God, therefore they are God in their mind. And so we want to know his word. We want to understand his word. We want to be studying his word. It says, verse 77, Let your tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Is God's law, his word, your delight? It is for me and, always, and has been for many years. I love studying God's word. I love seeing what he has to say. It is what I delight in and enjoy so much to be able to share what God says. It, it literally brings enjoyment is what it's talking about. It says, let your tender mercies come to me that I might live. Huh? Explain the context of tender mercy. Tender mercy literally is compassion. Let your compassions or mercy, it's also mercy, it's translated as mercy in many places, is compassion. It says, your compassion, let your compassions come to me that I may live. That makes more sense. Yeah. Because if it wasn't, if it wasn't for God's love and compassion for us, in his holiness and his righteousness, we would be destroyed. If it wasn't for his mercy and his, on us not giving us what we deserve, we would be destroyed. And this is something we've got to come to understanding of. God loves us so much that he does give us mercy. And then on top of mercy, he gives us grace and keeps giving us things that we don't deserve. Uh, first, he gives, uh, doesn't give us what we deserve. And because if you think about that, this... Each day that we live, each one of us commit sins that deserve to be totally punished. And yet God doesn't always punish every sin that comes our way because of his mercy. 
And sometimes supernaturally protects us. Sometimes that's the consequences. Oh, yeah. Keeps some consequences away from us that we deserve. That we totally deserve. And then yet let some consequences teach us. Because if he blocked all consequences, we would be very evil. If we had no consequence in our life at all, then we would say, okay, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get away with it. So oftentimes, though God is very merciful, he lets much of our, you know, he does have consequences for our sins. Because we need those consequences. Discipline is all about having enough pain in your life that you don't continue doing the same mistake. And that's what discipline is when we're raising our children. We're to give enough pain in that discipline that they think twice. Well, I snuck out of the house last week and I got my butt blistered and I couldn't go to the dance that I wanted to go, go to. Is it worth sneaking out again? Hopefully the pain was enough that they did not, do not want to do it again. God does the same thing with us. At times he'll say, okay, here's the consequence for what you did. And if you do it again, the same consequence will come out. And this is the thing about it. Um, when littering laws first came out in this country, they, they, they set the fine at like $25, 50 bucks, you know, and people go, well, that's no big deal. You know, now you see in fines of $1,000, $10,000 for littering. Why? Because they want the fine high enough that people go, uh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I can't afford to do this. And this is what it is. People will look at the penalty for something that's going on and say, is this a penalty I'm willing to pay or not? And if the penalty is too low, the, the law or the rule has no real enforcement. And this is why God will put penalties in our life and say, this is going to cost you. This problem, this sin, this area of disobedience is going to cost but it says, because of your, con your compassion, your tender mercies, your, your love for me, that I may live. That I may live and be able to get along with what's going on. For your law is my delight. Basically, he's saying, I'm trying to be obedient because I delight in your law. Give me mercy. <laughs> Give me mercy. Now, if somebody is being totally disobedient to God, they cannot expect for his compassion and his mercy. Because if their whole heart is going out there and saying, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I've met, people, I've met Christians who claim to be Christians who just want to go out and do what they want to do. And they'll go, well, God's going to have be merciful to me. I wouldn't count on it. If you're not following him, you're not delighting in his law, you're not delighting in who he is, why would he give you mercy? He's going to make your life miserable so that you'll come back to him. And this is something we have to be able to understand. God expects obedience. He knows that we won't be obedient all the time, but he expects obedience. He expects us to try to be obedient. Same thing when we're raising kids. You know, we know our kids are going to do wrong things. But if you have a kid who's very rebellious and always doing, doing stuff to, that, to challenge you, that child gets very little grace and mercy. If you have a child who's def, usually obedient and they make a mistake, 
you're more likely to go, okay, you've learned from, the, what have you learned from this? And, and, and let them not off with a slap on the wrist rather than, than a week's worth of suspensions or something. You know, it's, you know, and God is the same way. If we're delighting in his law, we want to keep his law, and we're trying the best that we can, he says, I'm going to give you mercy. If you're being rebellious and fighting him at every, at every, every command, you're going to have a lot of trouble in your life. And this is what he says, I want your mercies because I delight in your law. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. This is something that David had a lot of experience with, people going after him, especially Saul. But he says, let the proud be ashamed. Uh, the whole idea of made crooked, for they have dealt perversely with me without cause. Have you ever had people that have mistreated you when there was no reason to? Yeah. No reason to whatsoever. David's prayer for them was, God, make them ashamed. Get after them. Bring them low. Teach them that what they're doing is wrong. Now, it's not another thing if you are getting somebody attacking you when you deserve it. You may not like it any better, but at least you know, okay, I did this to them. I deserve what's coming my way. But here he's saying, they're dealt crookedly with me without a reason. But I love his answer. Even though they're doing this, but I will meditate on your precepts. Meditation. We've talked many times in this, in this section about meditation. Meditating is to muse and think about God's word. It is not to empty our minds as it is in the, in the many religions. Empty your mind and think of nothing. That is not what God means when he says to meditate. He literally goes, really masticate his word and concentrate on it and think about what his word means. And meditation has this, literally, literally means to murmur and growl. <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, oh man, God, what are, what are we trying to get out of this? What are we, and you're repeating it over and over and over again. Have you ever had a verse stuck in your brain that you've learned in the morning, you're just trying to figure it all out, so you meditate on it all day long? You're thinking it over and over and over again. And the good news when you do that is usually it's just the verse you need for that day. <laughs> to get through that day. And God says, meditate, or David said, I will meditate on your precepts. But why is he meditating on his precepts? Because of the way he's being treated by those who are treating him incorrectly. God tells us to love our enemies, do good to those who just spitefully use us. That is not human way. You were mean to me, I am going to be very mean back to you. And God says, no, that's not my way. I want you to be kind to them. Now, is that an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. It is not easy to be kind to somebody who is in your face, mistreating you, making your life miserable. And yet, the word says that that's what God wants us to do. It's not easy to do it first. You have to learn to be able to do it. And this is what is important. Living God's word takes a lot of time and effort. It's a growth because it is not what we want to do in our flesh. 
If somebody's mistreating you, your flesh says, I want to I get back at them. I'm going to make them just as miserable as they made me. And yet God says, no, I want you to love them. The good news is the more you do what God says and the way he says to do this, the better off you are. But you're right, it is so important because it, when we do things God's way, it is something that we definitely don't get, aren't hurt by. We may, our flesh may say, well, if I don't get back at them, everything's going to go wrong. But when we get into this, God is our defense. He is our defender. He's our protector. If we just let him take care of us, things work out. We forgive them. We stick on the high road, and God will take care of them. Eventually, if they will not learn, he will take them out. He'll either move them away from us, or he'll literally take their life. And I've seen both happen. I've seen both happen in my lifetime. I've seen people that have been moved out of the way, and I've seen people who have lost their life. Not just for, you know, just watching other people and how they were being treated. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I don't want to see people hurt that bad. I want to just see them come to God. But God knows what he needs to do to get hold of them. But this is what it is. It says, I will meditate on your precepts. The more I meditate on God's word, the easier it is for me to forgive. The easier it is for me to love. The easier it is for me to say, okay, God, you've got a plan. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to rest in you. Resting in God is so important. Faith, rest. God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to rest. I'm going to rest that you have a plan. I'm going to rest in your plan and have faith in you. Because it is hard sometimes to have faith in God. When everything looks like it's going wrong and all these troubles are happening, it's very hard sometimes just to rest. Verse 79 says, Let those that fear you turn unto me and those that have known your testimony. Have you ever looked for other Christians in, in a situation? I've shared with you, when I was a manager in one of the companies I worked for, they used to send me away on different, different managers' meetings. And I'm going, God, I just need to meet some Christians. I don't want to go to the, I didn't want to be at the meeting in the first place. Because most of those meetings turned into a bunch of people getting drunk and partying. And I go, God, I just want, I want other Christians. I want to meet other people that fear you. And, you know, the amazing thing is that God would reveal them. By the time I got done, it was time to, it was time to be able to talk with other Christians. When we need help, we, will turn, we need to turn to other Christians. And this is important for us to understand. Why is it important for us as Christians to come together? Because we need each other. We need to, when we're having a hard time, we need another Christian that says, you know what, God has done this, God has done this, He's, God cares for you. Have you ever been in a place where a Christian brother or sister has come along and just given you the right word when you were down? They were just kind. Maybe it was just that they were kind to you. Uh, you've had a really bad day, and they said, you know what, God loves you, or God's got a plan, or whatever it might be that they said, and turned your attitude back to God. Turned you back to God. That is the purpose of us meeting together. It is the purpose of us getting together outside of church, just to be able to say, you know, you're loved. You're loved. The world does not love us. The world does not even like us as Christians. 
And when we deal with the world, we oftentimes have to deal with just that. A constant bombardment of dislike, hatred, and trials. Hopefully, we, when we were with other Christians, we get built up and loved. And I say hopefully because they're still people. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. And we want to be able to see God's love being manifest. And I've seen churches where it's like bitterness all over the church, and I've seen churches where God's love abounds. I will take a, God, a, a church where God's love abounds any time because that's what's important. We are to love one another. We're to build each other up. Bitterness is terrible. It's a terrible thing to have people not like you. You know, maybe you have somebody you don't like. The last thing you want to do is see them, and then all of a sudden bitterness raises up in you. You know, oh, no, here they come. That's not the attitude God wants in our heart. But, you know, God also doesn't want us to look at one another as Christians and say, oh, no, here they come. I, I don't want to be around them. Uh, does that mean we're going to like everybody in the church? Probably not. Because all of us have family members we don't particularly want to be around. They're family, though. <laughs> you know, if you go to a, you know, the family reunion or the family get-together, you know there's certain people there that are going to get on your nerves. But it's hard when you're the so-called Christian person at church that, that treats you mean. It is. And they shouldn't, but they're human. And whether they're Christian or not, we don't know. But, yeah, yeah. but even if they are a strong Christian, there just may be some personality thing in there that is hard for them to get along with you. Because, you know, we're not going to like every single person that we come across. And we're told to love one another. We're not actually told to like each other. We're told to love one another. There's a huge difference between liking and love. There's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, I love you, you're my child, I'm going to, but right now, with all the action you're doing, I don't like you. And there is that whole attitude of, we're to love everybody that is a Christian. We're to love the world, actually, even our enemies. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to say, this is my buddy, I'm going to hang out with them, you know, every day. And that's where liking comes in, because there's certain people you're just not going to like, for whatever reason. Yeah, you're not going to have them over for tea. You're not going to. You're not going to. You're not going to go out to dinner with them necessarily. You can still love them, and say you're God's creation. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be as nice to you as I can, but we're not going. We're not going to go hang out. We're not going to be B BFFs. You know. <laughs> uh, But that's where the love comes in. You know, they're, they're, you're acting really weird and strange. You're not acting like a Christian, but I'm going to pray for you because I love you and I want to see God get hold of your life. Well, one thing he always um, preached, which is good, saying if, you don't, if you're driving about somebody, if you don't pray for them, you shouldn't be saying anything. Right. And so now that's what I do is I pray for the person that, is, that needs help because of what they are doing. And when you're truly praying yeah. for somebody... Then you have no desire to be attacking them because you're praying for them. You want the best for them, and you're, you're presenting your case to God. And you go, God, I just want you to do what you can do. I always say give them a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Yeah, well, that's a good thing to start with. But 
when they get changed, then you can have a relationship with them. But if all you've done is attack back on them, there's probably going to be hard feelings on both sides and there won't be a relationship well, ever. It's usually the other way around. Attack, you know, well, yeah. And he says, let them that fear you turn unto me and those that have known your testimony. So he says, just other brothers, brothers and sisters, let them turn to, to you. And this is going to be true. When you fear God, you're going to find other Christians. You need other Christians. This is something that is very critical. And we talk a lot about this as far as discipleship. And I've talked about this. Who is your disciple? Or who teaches you God's word? And then who are you teaching God's word to? And then who are your peers that you just are spending time with? We all need all three people. We need somebody who is our teacher that we can go to and ask questions. We need to be teaching somebody. And believe me, we've talked about this. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, you know more than somebody else. Because there's somebody else out there that's just starting. So even if you only have six weeks under your belt, you still know more in six weeks, hopefully, than the person who's just starting out. But who are the people you go to just to fellowship with? And we've talked many times. We as Christians cannot be isolating ourselves from non-Christians. But by the same token, I've said this many times, a non-Christian probably should not be your best friend. Because if they're your best friend, you're in trouble because they will probably drag you into their sin. It happens over and over again. Doesn't mean that they can't, you can't be friendly with them, you can't uh, enjoy being in their company once in a while. Uh, usually it's more like a work friend. You know what a work friend is. You, yeah. You're good friends at that job, you, you talk to each other, you might even go to lunch once in a while together. But if you leave that job or they leave the job, you probably will never talk to them again. They were, they were a good friend while you were at work. The lost person should be a work friend. Somebody who does not have any impact on my life, it's, I can be friendly with them, I can have a good, you know, good time when I'm with them, as long as I'm not in their sin. But they probably shouldn't be your best friend. That should be another Christian brother or sister because you need somebody who's going to help you make godly decisions. How many times have you asked for advice from somebody and got ungodly advice? Oh, it happens all the time. Even in the church it can happen. You know, you go, well, I'm really having trouble in my marriage, you know, the, this, that, and the other thing. And people will tell you, well, you need to get separated or you need to get divorced. Uh, show me the verse that tells me that. You know, show me the verse that, you know, how are you defending that? Or, well, so-and-so did something. Well, you've got to go sue them. The Bible says don't sue, don't be quick to sue people. You know, but yet we get this advice so often that's ungodly advice. And we need to make sure that the friends that we have around us that are our best friends are people that are going to give us godly advice. And this is critical. It's critical to have friends that will give us good, solid, biblical advice and not the world's way of thinking. And we have to keep that up. If you're getting ungodly advice, you are eventually going to make ungodly decisions. This 80... Let my heart be sound in your statutes that I might not be ashamed. 
Let my heart, and we've talked about the word heart before, it is your innermost being. Let my innermost being be sound, complete in your statutes that I might not be ashamed. You know, if your innermost being is seeking after God's truth, you're not going to do activities that are going to make you ashamed. You're not going to tell lies. You're not going to go sleeping around. You're not going to go get drunk because you're looking at God's word and saying, God, I want to obey you. And if we're obeying God, we don't have to worry about what we've done. And this is something that is so critical. It's standing upright before people, living a life of integrity. And, you know, we've, when we obey God, then we don't have to worry about what others are going to come and attack us with. Now, uh, if I always tell the truth, I don't have to worry about somebody saying, well, you're, you're just a liar. If I don't steal from somebody, I don't have to worry about having somebody come and see their stuff in my house. Uh, if I'm, you know, not trying to have affairs, I don't have to worry about facing somebody that I'm intimately related with. All of this stuff, if we are following God's statutes in our innermost being, we have nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of or disconcerted is literally what it means, disconcerted. Yeah. Have you ever done something wrong and then you're wondering how long it's going to take for somebody to find out about it? You know, uh, well, I did this. Wow, I wonder. And then especially if it's a particular individual and you see them coming, it's like, oh, I don't want to be anywhere near them. They might, they might know what I did. They might, they might suspect what I did. If I'm following God's word, I have no fear. I have no fear of it standing in front of other people because I know that I am upright before God. And it keeps everything on the up and up and they don't have to worry about it. You know, oh, I can, I can talk with anybody. I, you know, you want to, you know, you want to, you don't like me? That's fine. You have nothing to, you have nothing to charge me with. Well, this is my Christianity, but you're going to have nothing to be able to attack me with. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you go before us and, and keep us in all that, all that we have before us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.